the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Southern California Live, KKLA, and K-Praise. I'm Bob Lapine on a, a, a sober day in America. I'm sure by now you know about the, the suicide bombings at the airport in Kabul in Afghanistan, about the military service people who are dead bombing outside the Abbey Gate at Kabul Airport in Afghanistan, 11 Marines and one Navy corpsman dead as a result. In the last hour, the president has asked military commanders to make plans to strike back at ISIS-K. That's the the group that is uh, that, that we presume is responsible for this attack, carried out the deadly attack. We are making plans for retaliation. He continues with the aggressive um, ex- withdrawal from Afghanistan, still the deadline of next week to get our, our troops out. And, and there are Americans in other parts of Afghanistan who can't get to the airport. We're waiting to hear what the plans are to get them out. There are Afghanis who supported us over the last decade plus as we've been in country. Uh, people who have special visas, who are wondering if they can get out now. So much going on. We need to pray. The Bible tells us to pray for our leaders, pray for God's hand in this situation. need to pray for the safety of men and women and children. We need to pray for God to disrupt and to put a stop to the evil that we've seen today, for God to withhold evil, for evil to be exposed and to be set aside. We need to be, our our hearts are grieved for what's going on and for the service men and women, uh, the the families of the service men and women who are in harm's way and those who have lost their lives today. It's a sobering day. And it's hard to even think about anything else on a day like today. And yet, uh, in, in the midst of this, this is this is happening thousands of miles away from us. We're watching it on the news, and, and yet in our own world, in our own country, there are issues we're we're having to deal with issues that we are facing. There's a news report out of Illinois. This will this will not come to surprise uh, as a surprise to uh, folks here in Cal in Southern California, but maybe it's surprising to know that in places like Illinois. There are aggressive measures being taken for how issues of gender and sexuality are going to be um, are going to be handled with school children. As kids are back to school, your kids are coming home. You saying, "What did you learn today?" You can expect that no matter what age your child is, there's going to be some 
instruction this year at some point, maybe at multiple points, around issues of gender and sexuality. And I want us to spend some time thinking about this. Here's what's going on in Illinois. The Illinois State Board of Education is providing standards for the schools in the state of Illinois for how they will teach sex education. They have handed those down this month. Schools don't have to adopt the standards unless they teach sex ed, and parents do have the opportunity to opt their children out. But the standards are being developed by a group that has the tax line, uh, the, the tagline, Sex Ed for Social Change. So you see, the point is not we want to teach your sons and daughters about biology or, or human reproduction, the birds and the bees. No, we want to bring about social change through sex ed among the standards for kids K through second grade, all right? Five, six, seven, eight-year-old kids. These new standards in Illinois, they want these kids to be able to define gender expression, different kinds of families, and types of sexual abuse. Grades three to five, so we're talking about nine, 10, 11-year-olds. Get into anatomy, gender identity, and sexual orientation. We want to make sure that our nine-year-olds understand sexual orientation and gender identity. Grades six through eight, this is Illinois. Learn about different types of sex, different types of sexual exploitation and trafficking. Grades nine and 10, the history of reproductive justice in America. This is what the state is encouraging schools. And then grades 11 and 12, they're going to learn about power and privilege within sexual relationships. This is, this is so that, again, parents can opt their kids out. But, you know, there are so many parents who are so busy with so many other things, they don't even know this is happening. And their kids are going to class. Sex ed for social change. This is, this is the state of, of our culture in an aggressive uh, revolution around gender and sexuality that is meant to undo centuries of understanding about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, what is appropriate sexual expression, what's not. And of course, the idea that the Bible would have anything to say about that, uh, many people would dismiss that as, as antiquated or, or in some cases harmful. So I just think we need a refresher all right, and and I, I'm going to say some things to you that that if I had said these things to you 20 years ago, you'd have said, "Well, duh." I mean, of course, every, everybody thinks that. Okay, so that's not the case today, and this is where we have to we we are being reprogrammed. We are. I, there was an article online today from Pastor Kevin DeYoung that says, whether you know it or not, the culture is catechizing you. The culture is teaching you to think unchristianly about so many things. And there are young people today who are growing up without a biblical framework to think about things. And so the idea, for example, that there is a wide variety of, of genders, that there are many different genders, 
that idea is assumed as being true by so many young people today. So let me just go back and just hit a few highlights of things that that we should remember and we should make sure our kids know when it comes to gender and sexuality and marriage, these kinds of things, so that when they hear things in school from classmates or from aggressive sex ed people who want to bring about cultural change through sex ed in our schools, and that's going on in California, it's going on in Illinois, it's going on in states all across the country, our kids need to be able to say, I don't think that's true. My mom and dad, we've talked about this. And and they said the Bible says something different. They at least need to be able to process that on their own, whether they raise their hand and say that out loud in class. So here's, here's a basic thing. God did not stutter with what he had to say about gender and sexuality. Here's what the Bible says. There are two genders and only two genders. Genesis 1:27. God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Two. That's clear in Genesis. There are pairs throughout Genesis. There's darkness and light, the sun, the moon, the seas, the dry land, the birds and the fish. There's there are these differences, but in Genesis 1 there's there's a pair, a man and a woman. There are not three genders or four or seven or however many Facebook says you you have today. Last number I saw was 63. So we've just got to recognize what God says about gender is, is not that there's a binary, but that, that God says that there are male and female. And you say to yourself, well, now wait, but aren't there some people who, who are anatomically male, but in their mind or their heart or their emotions, they feel like a female. And I would say, yes, there are people like that. Well, is that a different gender? No, that's not a different gender. That's a male who feels like a female. That's, that's not an, now now the question is, is it okay for him to feel like a female? Should he act out on that? Should he, should he get a surgery about that? Or should he adopt a new uh, way of living? The Bible has a lot to say about that. Two genders. Here's the second thing we need to keep in mind. Here's what God says about marriage. And by the way, he created it and he defined it. This would not have been controversial 20 years ago. A man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God's plan is that a man and a woman come together, are united in matrimony, and that the two become one. It's the first social institution God creates. The last thing he creates in Genesis 2 is marriage, and it's the first thing Satan attacks. And by the way, Jesus affirmed that definition of of marriage in Matthew 19. So those of you who think, well, Jesus didn't say anything about this. Yes, he did. When, When he was asked about divorce, he said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. What God has joined together, let not man separate. That's Jesus. There's no teaching anywhere in the Bible that affirms that marriage is anything other than a covenant union between a man and a woman joined together by God for a lifetime. Now, are there examples of polygamy in the Bible? Yes. Does God deal graciously with polygamists? Yes. Is that his design? No never was. I'm grateful that God deals graciously with muddle-headed thinkers, uh, sinners like me. I'm sure I got stuff wrong. The polygamist had it wrong. 
And God was gracious to them in the midst of it, but he never endorsed their polygamy. Now, on the question of our sexuality, here's what the Bible says about that. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Abstain from sexual immorality. There are a whole lot of other verses I could show you. The gift of God for human sexuality is given to us for God's God's glory and for our good. It's a wonderful gift when we use it according to his design, which is inside of marriage. Outside of marriage, it's dangerous. It's destructive. It's harmful. Is it pleasurable? Sure. Pleasure doesn't make it right. We don't go there just because we, we like it. Any activity or action that arouses or awakens sexual desire with anyone other than your husband or your wife, that is sexual immorality. So we're talking about same-sex attraction. We're talking about heterosexual lust. We're talking about fornication. You know what that is, fornication? That's having sex before you're married. We're talking about adultery. That's having sex with somebody you're not married to while you're married to somebody else. We just have to define these things because you know what's most common today? Some of you are listening. You're not married and you're having sex with people, with with somebody you're not married to. And, And you've just, nobody ever told you that was wrong or you knew it was wrong, but everybody does it. I remember talking to somebody, young man grew up in the church, met his girlfriend on a missions trip. The two of them on the missions trip began having sex together. Then they moved in together and the first time that he ever was confronted about living with his girlfriend was when he went to his pastor and volunteered to help out with children's ministry. And the pastor kind of cleared his throat and said, well, you know, we, we can't have you guys do that because you're living together. And he went, wait, what, what's wrong with that? I mean, nobody ever told him. It's become so culturally normal that nobody thinks about this. And I just bring this up because we got to remind ourselves part of the reason we are where we are in the sexual revolution that's going on in our world today, part of the reason that kids are being taught what they're being taught in our schools today is because we have gone down a long slide in terms of our view of sexuality and gender over many years. And some of us have not stood on healthy ground there. So how, now listen, what the Bible has to say about gender, sexuality, marriage, it's clear. Two genders, sex outside of marriage is wrong. Marriage is a man and a woman in a lifetime covenant. But listen, how we speak about gender and marriage and sexuality is critical. We talked about this yesterday. We have to be full of grace and truth. We have to not talk with condemning tones. Remember, when the woman was brought in adultery and, and everybody stood around ready to condemn her and Jesus said, okay, you without sin, you go ahead and cast the stone. And they all dropped their stones. None of us is without sexual sin. None of us can raise our hand and say, yeah, I've never done anything that was wrong in this area. So we have to be careful and recognize that we are at the same place at the foot of the cross. I heard Pastor Tim Keller years ago talk about a woman coming forward in his church. And she said, I've been coming to the church for for many weeks now. I like the church. I've been thinking that maybe I would want to join the church. My question is, I'm a lesbian. I'm living with my girlfriend, with my partner. Would I have to leave that relationship if I were to join the church? 
Now, put yourself in that position. You're the pastor. Somebody comes forward. They ask you that honest question, and there's a group of people around you, and they're all turning their heads and going, how are you going to answer this one, pastor? What's your answer? Here's what Tim Keller said. This was brilliant. He said, I think you're asking the wrong question. She said, what do you mean? He said, I think the question is, do you believe that Jesus is who we say he is, who the Bible says he is? Do you believe that he is God come in human flesh? Do you believe that he died and and rose again? Do you believe that he is king, lord, and master? He said, if your answer to that question is yes, then your king and lord and master is going to have all kinds of things that he is going to expect of you and require of you. He is your king, and you need to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him. If he's not your king, then you can probably find something else to do on a Sunday morning. Now, he wasn't saying, don't come here. He was being, he was being kind, but he said, the issue is not how much, how much uh, do I have to give up to become a Christian? The issue is, do you believe he's the king? And if you do, that's, they're gonna, he's going to put a lot of claims on your life, not just about gender and sexuality, about a lot of things. We have to know how to be shrewd as we talk to other people about this. And I, I just want to come around. There, there's a passage, I come back to this passage all the time, in pastoral ministry, especially in the last couple of years with the division and the polarization in the culture in the church. In talking to his protege, Timothy, the apostle Paul gave this guidance on how to shepherd. He said, the Lord's servant, that's not just pastors, that's all of us, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone, everyone, kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. They may come to their sentence and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. The Lord's servant, don't be quarrelsome, be kind to everyone, patiently endure evil, correct your opponents with gentleness. That sound like you? That sound like Christians you know? That sound like the tone at church? How we stand for truth is as critical as standing for the truth. We talked about that yesterday. Now, let me just say this. If you think that our culture has gone about as far as it can go in the area of gender and sexuality, you need to think again. If if, three years ago, well, let me go back to 2015 when uh, gay marriage became the law of the land. And people said, well, that's it. Okay, war's over. No, people rightly recognized back then that the next battlefront would be transgenderism. And we're there today. You want to know what's after that? Polyamory, polygamy, uh, multiple marriage. If, if two men can marry, why can't three men marry? If a man wants to marry his daughter, what's wrong with that? These are the kinds of things that are on the horizon, are starting to emerge, and we look at that today and say, that'll never happen. But you know what? We never thought we'd get here. 
And I bring this all back around because in the culture today, on YouTube, in school, among peers, and among some aggressive sex educators, there is a desire to want to point our kids in a direction that takes them far away from what the Bible, from all of the things I'm talking about here. So as parents, moms, dads, we have to get aggressive on the other side. We have to kindly, gently, lovingly instruct our kids. Let me tell you what the Bible has to say. And you're going to hear your friends who are going to have different views and you want to respect them. You want to be kind to them, but you just have to understand that some of their, their views, they don't come from the Bible. They come from some some strange ideas. They think there are many different genders. They think this is okay. They think it's all right. Your your kids have classmates who have two mommies or two daddies. Again, we don't want to be antagonistic. We want to be gentle and loving and gracious, but we also want our kids to understand that that as they think about their own life, as they think about how they're going to govern their own life and about what God says is right and wrong, our job is not to to tell everybody else that they're they're wrong, but our job is to help our kids understand that's that's not a direction you should go. It's not a direction we should go as a culture. It's not going to be helpful. I don't know how many people, if you if you said to them today, the sexual revolution of the last the, of the last uh, fifty years, even the last ten years, America's in a much better place as a result of that. Really, how many people would say that? If you hold to what the Bible teaches, what the church has believed and taught for centuries, you just need to know there are headwinds coming your way, punishment coming your way. And so as parents, we've got to be thinking wisely, shrewdly about how we engage with our kids at a younger age than we would like on on a subject that's uncomfortable, talking about things that we wish we could wait until they were a lot older to talk to them about, but we can't. Because social media is talking about it, their classmates are talking about it, some of their teachers are talking about it, and we have to, as parents, be wise in how we handle this. Sean McDowell is going to join us to help us on this, because Sean is a dad, he's a professor, he's written a wonderful book called Choosing Love that tackles a number of these issues, and um, when when I stop and think about who can coach us well in this area, Sean is one of those names that floats to the top of that list real quickly. So he's agreed to join us, and we're going to hear from him on the other side of this. We're going to take a timeout. This is Southern California Live on KKLA and KPraise. We'll be right back. There we go. Southern California Live on a Thursday afternoon. It is 327. I'm Bob Lapine, KKLA and K-Praise. A sober day in America with the loss of 12 American troops uh, at the airport in Afghanistan. I'm sure you are up to date on the suicide bombings that have taken place there. The president in the last hour saying, we will develop a plan and go after those who who perpetrated this attack on American soldiers. And we will keep you up to date with what's going on. I'm sure you'll stay up to date with what's going on. We're talking this afternoon about 
another kind of battlefront. It's it's the school battlefront where our kids are uh, they they are being targeted in some cases. I read to you about what's going on in Illinois. In in some cases, being targeted by those who want to bring about cultural change through sex education. They want to uh, change the way we think and act as a culture, and they want to do that by training our kids with an agenda-based form of sexuality. Your kids may be facing some of this in this school year. You need to be vigilant as a parent. You need to be on top of this. You need to be having conversations with your kids. We've got Dr. Sean McDowell joining us to help us think about this. And let me just say hi to him first. Sean, welcome. Bob, I'm so honored to be joining you while you're filling the KKLA. Thanks for having me. It, it's a treat to have you here. As I said, you're one of my go-to guys on stuff like this. Uh, Sean, for, for those of you who don't know, Sean lives down in San Juan Capistrano. He is a an apologist. He's a professor. He is an, uh, a teacher at uh, Talbot School of Theology, Biola University. Also, still teach, you still teach the high school Bible class? Uh, one class, three days a week, yep. So you are with kids day or week in and week out. Uh, interacting with them about the Bible and about the issues that they're facing in their lives. I am, that's right. With my own kids, two of which are Gen Zers, the kids I teach, and then I speak to probably tens of thousands of students every year as well. And and how old are your kids? My oldest is a senior now. He's 17, then he's a, my son. My daughter's 14, she's a freshman. And then it's actually my other son's birthday today. He turned nine. Oh, well, tell him happy birthday from all of us. Everybody in Los Angeles and, and in San Diego <laughs> wants to wish him a happy ninth birthday. I, I want to go, go back. Um, a lot of people know your dad. Your dad, a famous apologist, speaker, writer, wrote a number of books. When you were growing up in the McDowell household, did you initiate the first conversations with your dad about sexuality? <laughs> questions, or did he initiate them with you? There is no doubt it was completely my dad. I mean, he would just, and you know my dad well, so I knew you are asking me that to set up with the answer. He started <laughs> early. He was always trying to be honest with us, trying to look for opportunities to engage us on relationships, sexuality, and even cultural, political issues, you name it. But his philosophy was, you don't just have the sex talk when a kid turns 12 or 13, you start along the way in age-appropriate ways and have a lot of little meaningful talks on sexuality. So do you remember an early conversation you had with him where you were going, oh, this this is kind of... I mean, I, I remember I was on the way to a Cub Scout fishing trip with my dad, <laughs> and my dad starts talking to me about female anatomy. And I was looking out the window. I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. He's right. talking about body parts that I don't understand. He's trying to do what a dad should do, but it wasn't connecting with me. And it was like three years later, I went, oh, that's what was going on back in the car on the way to the Cub Scout fishing trip. Do you remember any of those early conversations with your dad? You know, I do. We were actually, for some reason, at Venice Beach. It was my sister, who's two years older than I am, and we were biking or roller skating by and saw this wall with just graffiti all over it and every four-letter word and beyond you can imagine. 
a lot of parents would be like, don't look at that. And my dad was like, you know, kids, come on over here. You curious what this means? Let's talk about it. And one by one, he starts explaining these things to me. I don't know how old I was, maybe eight or 10 or 11, young enough to like not really get it, but realize that my dad wanted us to know this stuff. He wasn't afraid of it, but also have that feeling you had of like, I'm not sure I really get what's going on here. (laughs) So that approach is so unusual. And a lot of parents would hear about it and go just, I would feel mortified to even have a conversation with an eight-year-old about what these words mean or what these body parts are. I mean, parents are freaked out about this. Well, it's natural that parents are freaked out. I Look, I study this stuff, and I talk to my kids a lot, but still sometimes, even though I write books on this and have a dad who modeled it well, still sometimes I have those feelings. Like the other day, probably six weeks ago, I'm driving home, and my daughter who's 14 says something about abortion. So my eight-year-old goes, Dad, what's abortion? And I'm part of me wants to go, oh, don't ask and let's talk about dinner. But the other part was like, okay, here's an opportunity. So I just did my best. And I said something like, well, son, you know, sometimes women will get pregnant and decide that they don't want to keep the baby for a range of different reasons. He goes, well, Dad, why would they decide that? And while we're driving in the car, we had a conversation. In my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I don't want to tell too much. I don't want to tell too little. How do I, in an age-appropriate way, just have a calm, thoughtful discussion with my 8-year-old? And that's what I try to do. And and I think we as as parents have got to be imagining that day coming and be thinking ahead of time if that day comes, if those questions get asked, when your child comes home from school and says, what's a lesbian? We, we've got to be ready to have a, a winsome conversation. I, I tell parents all the time, you, you've got to practice your, your don't freak out face when your kids ask these yeah. questions. And, and you got to be able to say, sit down, let's talk. And then, and, and the other thing not to do is say, okay, now I have to dump everything I know about this. We got to take the next 45 minutes right. and give a whole lecture, right? No, we just have a conversation and, and model for our kids. You can ask me about any of this stuff anytime, and I'm not afraid of it. You know, I love that you, you said we got to be ready ahead of time. This is another thing my parents did well. My dad practiced in his own mind. What would I say if my daughter came and said, I'm pregnant. What would I say if my son said, um, hey, dad, I'm gay? Like he practiced this so he didn't freak out and could respond in a calm manner. I think that was a really smart practice to think of that ahead of time. The other thing that parents can do is if your daughter, the question you said earlier, Bob, if your daughter's son goes, hey, mom, dad, what's a lesbian? You can ask a question back and say something like, you know what, that's a really good, important question. I'm happy to tell you what I think, but can you tell me Why do you ask? Where'd you hear that term? Or what makes you curious about this topic? And then, number one, it creates a conversation. Number two, gives you a little bit of time to just think, (laughs) take a deep breath, and give a more thoughtful answer as well. You've written a great book called Choosing Love that uh, I've heard you talk about that's uh, available, and I would encourage parents, if, if you think, I wouldn't know what to say when my child asks the question, uh, Sean is providing you with cheater notes. All right. So, <laughs> so you can get the book and you can read the book and it'll give you, it'll, it'll map out for you. Here's, here's what to say and here's how to say it. It's not scripts, but I mean, you're helping us think clearly and biblically on all of these gender and sexuality related issues. And, and we talk about parents freaking out. I know 
you hit your dad with with the kind of a statement that would cause a parent to freak out? Was it when you were in high school that you said you weren't sure if you believed in Jesus? I was, I think, 19 years old. I believe it was around my sophomore year at Biola, so 1920. And just, I don't, I'm not sure I ever rejected my faith. I just hit that point that a lot of people hit where you go, whoa, do I really believe this? Can I answer these tough questions? Uh, am I just believing this because my parents believe it? Like, that just kind of hit me in a fresh way because it was mid-90s and I was surfing the Internet and met some smart people who gave good reasons to doubt the Christian faith. And I expressed that to my dad. And uh, we had a conversation about it. He didn't freak out. He told me that he loved me. He told me that, hey, what I need to do is follow truth no matter where it leads. And I thought that was that was just that was great advice. It really freed me up to know that my relationship with him wasn't contingent upon whether I believed in Jesus or not. And, you know, he said something interesting. He said, you know, only reject what you've learned growing up if you're convinced it's not true. And that's what my dad's tried to model me is just follow and live truth, even if it's costly. And that's that's uh, what he modeled. I try to do with my kids. So you're right in chasing love. That's one thing that I try to do is when my dad read it, he goes, he goes, son, this isn't just for students. This is like going to help adults how to communicate these ideas in a language and on a level that 14, 16, 18-year-olds can really get in terms of the questions that they're asking. Yeah, I love that. And, and the book is available wherever you get your books online, wherever Chasing Love is the name. Dr. Sean McDowell is our guest. And here's what I want to throw open to you. If you have been hit by a question from your child or if you've found yourself in an uncomfortable situation, you want to call and share with us what you've done, get Sean's coaching and his advice. 888-52-TALKS is the number, 888-528-2557. Lines are open. We're going to continue the conversation with our guest, Dr. Sean McDowell, after we take this time out. Stay with us. Boys are back. <laughs> this is uh, Southern California Live on KKLA and Praise. I'm Bob Lapine. It's uh, 344. We're talking about what our kids are facing in school and in the culture and what's happening as, as they head off and come home every day and how we can be prepared as parents to have conversations around one of the issues where there's an agenda, an agenda to get them to think differently, to think in a way that is not biblical about gender and sexuality. And as parents, we've got to we've we've got to be proactive in how we address this. Dr. Sean McDowell is joining us to talk about it. He's written a book called Chasing Love. And uh, I read a reviewer who said, this is, this is a great book. I'm excited to share it with my teenage kids. Broken down into palatable chapters. Does not mince words. I would agree with that. We should also, Sean, you've got a podcast, which I'm a fan of. Tell, tell listeners about your podcast. Yeah, I do two things that people might enjoy. One is a podcast through Biola I co-host, just called Think Biblically. And it's all culture, theology, worldview, um, apologetic issues. And then my YouTube channel is really taken off, Bob. I do similar stuff and have guests on. Jay Warner Wallace is coming on. Lee Strobel's coming on. Um, J.P. Moreland. 
have some pretty, I just posted a, a video um, on the biggest research talking about how progressive Christianity and conservative Christianity are basically two different faiths. Hmm. And this is something parents need to be aware of. And uh, at some point we could talk about. Well, again, uh, search for Sean on YouTube and, and follow his uh, his YouTube channel and then check out the Think Biblically podcast. Both are good. And I, one other question just before we get back to this. Do you still have a pretty good three-point shot? <laughs> you know, I played a ton during COVID with my son. We battled. I was in the best shape <laughs> almost of my life, minus when I played at Biola. But then I stopped, and within about a week, lost all of it. So <laughs> <laughs> It goes away quick, especially oh, at our age. <laughs> painful. <laughs> so... So the the situation, you know, I've, I've used the phrase, and I, I don't want to be an alarmist and say there, you know, there are people who are out to get your kids. I I I, I back away from that kind of that that fear rhetoric, but there are people in our culture with an agenda, and it's naive not to acknowledge that, isn't it? Look, two years ago, twenty nineteen, California came out with entirely new sexual health standards. I read all of it. We did a podcast on it. I did a blog. If someone wants to read it for themselves, they can find it. But I will tell you, Bob, from kindergarten all the way up in our public schools, and some will apply this differently than others. I realize that. There are intentional strategies, and I think it's fair to call it indoctrination, to get our kids to buy certain views of sexuality tied to, say, how the LGBTQ community would view things. And what's interesting is you can opt your kids out of certain training on, like, condoms or AIDS, but you cannot opt your kids out of what's called gender education because that would be discriminatory. Hmm. And it starts kindergarten all the way through high school, including, if I remember correctly, there were kind of ways that they trained kids that if their parents weren't on board with these ideas, Here's how they could talk with their parents. So, yes, there are people, and that's just the educational system, not to mention Netflix, Google, TikTok. And it's not that I don't use those things. That's not my point. But we better be aware of the ideas that are shaping our kids and be prepared to counter them with biblical ideas. So I know you've got a lot of friends. I know your kids are in a Christian school, right? Yes. A lot of your friends, though, their kids are going to public school. If, if you had kids in a public school classroom, what kind of, a, what kind of a, uh, an offensive approach would you take to make sure that they're protected from some of what they're going to hear in the classroom? I went to a public school in California all the way growing up. And one thing my parents did is they were very involved. They took the time to get to know the teachers, and not with some hidden agenda. They wanted to know the teachers. They gave the teachers a benefit out. They wanted to partner with the teachers. They were very involved, number one, at school with what was going on. They went to meetings. They were clued in. Second, they took a lot of time to build a relationship with me and to have conversations about what I was learning in school. And then they were also very intentional about teaching me a Christian worldview. So... I'm not telling parents they shouldn't send their kids to public schools. I don't think that's my place. I think sometimes homeschool, sometimes private, sometimes public can be the best, depending on the particular kid and resources you have. But we have to be very intentional. So those who send their kids to public schools, start these conversations early, be involved with what's going on in the school, be aware, 
and then be very intentional about teaching kids a Christian worldview, too. And you got to be careful. I mean, when your child walks in the back door at at four fifteen, and you don't just run up and say, "So what? They what? Would you learn today?" You know, you you can't be fearful and <laughs> breathless and and act like you're freaking out, or your child's just going to shut down and have no communication with you. Yeah, I think that's right. There's a time and a place to build good relationships with kids, and a lot of that is just asking the right questions. And sacrificing. So today, this afternoon, my son got home from school. He's a senior, so he's done class at 11. He's like, Dad, let's go work out at 1. Like, I had a million things to do before this interview, but I'm like, my son wants to work out with me. You better believe I'm going to go spend that time with him. So that relationship, and then we can have natural opportunities to have conversations. That's the best time when it's not forced. So the dinner table is a wonderful time to do that. When you travel, is a great time. Deuteronomy 6.4 talks about the Shema, you know, love Lord God with your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. It's just talk about them with your kids when they wake up in the morning, when they go down at night, when you walk along the road, and when you sit at home. In other words, look for intentional times to have spiritual conversations. But like you said, don't force them. I spend a lot more time with my kids talking about the NBA or the newest <laughs> pair of Nike shoes that are coming out or my daughter's volleyball or the next superhero movie. That builds a relational capital with them, too. Sean, I talked to a mom in Southern California. This was a few years back. It was right after the Obergefell decision came down and gay marriage was legalized. And she had a middle school daughter, and her daughter came and said, Mom, can I put um, a rainbow flag behind my profile on my Facebook page? And the mom said, why do you want to do that? And she was a little concerned that, that what her daughter was going to say is that she had an agenda or that the daughter just said, cause if I don't, I'm the only one in my junior high class on Facebook that doesn't have it up there. Wow. This is the, the kind of um, social pressure that kids are facing where they feel like to fit in. If, if I'm going to hold to Christian convictions and Christian beliefs in the area of gender and sexuality, I'm going to be a social outcast. I'm going to be lonely. I'm going to be laughed at. I'm going to be dismissed. I'm not going to have any friends. I'm sitting alone at the lunch table every day I go to school, if that's the reality for me. Do we have to, as parents, help our our kids be prepared for that potential reality and know how to face those kinds of headwinds? I I think we do, and not just on the LGBTQ issue. We had some couple that we know, and they're caught their son looking at pornography. I can't remember if he was 10 or 12 years old, and he was at a Christian school. And at first they want to freak out and go, why are you looking at this? And he said, if I don't, everyone's going to mock me and tell me I'm the only one not doing this. And so finally he just gave in like a lot of 10-year-olds do because they want to fit in and not be made fun of. That's how things have shifted with this generation, and not a lot of people realize. The culture used to broadly, in terms of sexuality, you know, not have ideas that flew directly in the face of biblical ideas as a whole. Now, with young people, we've got to help prepare them. And one way we do this is just tell them stories of people that stood up for their faith hmm. and stood boldly and did the right things and model that for our kids— It's those stories to give them the courage. One is a biblical story, like Daniel chapter 1. Daniel stands up and refuses to compromise. That's a story I used a ton with this generation. But yes, we got to realize that if kids take Scripture seriously, it 
flies in the face of much of what's being taught in culture, and kids can be labeled bigoted, hateful, intolerant, homophobic, and many more adjectives to go along with that. Have you and Stephanie ever had the conversation, look, let's just get 20 acres in Montana, and let's just, we'll build a fence, and we'll go out there, no internet, and just raise the kids to, you know, love the outdoors and love Jesus? Oh, my goodness, yeah. We got to go to a ranch in Wyoming this and my wife, you know, there's a certain romantic feeling that goes with it that makes things feel simpler. Yep. But you know what? I love California. There's certain things I hate about it. <laughs> but, you know, Scripture says God puts us in a time and place for a reason. And Hebrews thirteen twenty one says God will equip us with all good things to do His will for our life. So, yes, I have those romantic moments, but then I come back to just the call that Scripture has and the privilege it is to raise our kids, to parent our kids, and we need to lean into that rather than lean away from it. Well, it's such a good word, and I think as parents we've got to recognize this is what we've been called to. We are not called to to retreat and to cloister. We are called to engage, and you you can't take the gospel to all the world, which is the Great Commission, if you, if you go huddle up in Montana. So, so kudos to you, Sean. Thank you for the coaching and the help. Again, the book is called Choosing Love. I'd encourage you to get a, or Chasing Love. Excuse me, Chasing Love. Get a copy of it. Uh, Dr. Sean McDowell, our guest. Thank you, Sean, for the time. And thanks to you for tuning in and listening. We're going to be back to do this all again tomorrow. I hope you can be here as well on Southern California Live. I'm Bob Lapine. See you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.